the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Time now for the second hour of the Jimmy Sangenberger Show here on News Talk 710-KNUS. Great to be with you. Thanks for joining the program. Our telephone number, 303-696-1971. You can also text into the show on the 710-KNUS app on your smartphone and tweet at me, 24-7-365. I'm at Sang Center. That's Sang with an E, not an A, Center on Twitter. Coming up, we'll welcome your calls. If you want to chime in on that interview with Mike Davis in the last hour about the Biden classified documents, any angle on that that really is tugging at you, this is just so odd. There are so many strange aspects to this that just boggle the mind. Happy to have you calling about that. We'll also pose the question, could History of the World Part 1 and other Mel Brooks movies of the 70s and 80s be made today? He's got a new series coming out on Hulu called History of the World Part 2. Finally, at long last, we're getting Part 2. But it seems like it's lacking something, something from the first one. Maybe... It just wouldn't fly to do something like the first one nowadays. We'll open up that question coming up in a bit as well. But first, when I was in college at Regis University, that was 2008 to 2011, I got out a year early, which was a nice decision, especially for a private school like Regis, saved a good little bit of money on a on a year not having to go there. But when I was there, I had the great opportunity to lead the college Republicans for two and a half of my three years at Regis. We had a great time. I actually brought Mike Rosen to come and speak. I mentioned earlier that we had a uh, ex-jihadist address us. We did a couple of programs and initiatives. Uh, It wasn't the most vibrant club, and there weren't too many college Republicans that were a part of the organization. But we were active. During that time, and then I left, and unfortunately, there was nobody to pass it along to, and it had ebbed and flowed at Regis, as it has ebbed and flowed in terms of membership at various college campuses, to the point now where there are apparently only two chapters of college Republicans remaining in Colorado right now, at the University of Colorado Boulder and the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs. Leave it up to CU to have the only two Chapters for CRs, college Republicans, in the state of Colorado. And I was very struck when I read a piece by a graduate of another Jesuit Catholic school, Marquette University in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, wrote an analysis and a piece in Colorado politics this week, posing the question, where are the college Republicans and discussing why it's really important and a big deal that Colorado's Republican Party hasn't cultivated CR chapters around the state. 
That's why I'm very pleased to welcome to the program campaign strategist and founder of Dark Horse Campaigns, Alec Hanna, who joins me now. Good morning, Alec. How are you? Good morning, Jimmy. I'm well. How are you? I'm doing great. Welcome. It's good to have you here. Like I said, I go back to college Republicans. It was a great way for me to connect with others, to learn some skills and so forth. Back when I was in college, we overlapped a little bit at the time when you were at Marquette University, never knew each other, of course, and being in different states. <laughs> but there was a there were a couple of years where we were both uh, in college at about the same time. And I love how you point here. As with most Jesuit universities, Marquette is not known for its abundance of conservative students, faculty, or policies from the college administration. Uh, I would echo that, saying the Jesuits are the hippies of the Catholic Church, and so you shouldn't expect that. But that neither here nor there. Give us the premise of your op-ed, please, Alec. Well, after the disappointing election uh, last year, you know, I've talked to a number of Republicans who recognize that we need to make some drastic changes uh, here in Colorado. And uh, the question I get a lot is, where do we begin? And to me, there's no easier and better way uh, to begin making the systematic changes that, that we need to than with the college Republicans. Um, it is not a terribly difficult thing to change, and it is where uh, a lot of the subsequent things that need to change in the party uh, begin. Uh, we really need to focus on voter contacts, making more door, uh, making uh, more phone calls, knocking more doors. And we need to be looking at the future of the party, both from uh, future candidates as well as future staff members, future campaign uh, oper- uh, uh, staff members such as myself. And where do these people generally come from? College Republicans. And so while this might seem like something that only affects uh, uh, students who are still in college. Uh, it's something where the greater conservative community can uh, help uh, cultivate this, where they can help, uh, uh, you know, uh, be a positive uh, uh, force helping mm-hmm. to drive this change. And so, you know, I think that uh, a lot of people join the college Republicans because they want to get involved. So, if you're involved in uh, in some sort of conservative uh, Republican organization, uh, reaching out to them and getting them involved. I mean, that's why I joined CRs, and I imagine that probably similar with you, Jimmy, is that you wanted to get involved. And so if you are have some sort of conservative organization or are knocking doors to get these, these students involved, as well as um, – Yes, it takes if you know any uh, conservative students who potentially would want to join college Republicans, letting the state federation know so that they can reach out. But likewise, um, I was talking with uh, Patrick, who's the chair of the state federation here in Colorado yesterday, uh, who, uh, like you, Jimmy, read my article and wanted to reach out. And one of the things he said uh, with breaking onto these new campuses is that oftentimes they need a sponsor who is a member of the faculty. Yeah, faculty advisor, right. Yes, and so if you know somebody who is a faculty member at one of these schools who doesn't have a college Republican chapter, um, connecting them with the state federation uh, is very helpful as well. Yeah, you know, you make an interesting observation of the numerous people I have hired on various campaigns. They have all been college Republicans. Yes. 
Talk and, a little uh, bit more about that because that I think really underscores why there's value. I mean, there are other organizations that are out there, Turning Point USA and what have you, that are on college campuses. But there's a specific mission as far as college Republicans. It, it is a partisan organization. Yes, it's a partisan organization, but unlike some of the uh, the other independent organizations, which may or may not lean a particular way, if you're a college Republican, you're help, in theory helping all Republicans, and so uh, they may, it makes an ideal uh, staff member or campaign worker, um, and as well as uh, at least on the last campaign I hired uh, in in Wisconsin, uh, one of the uh, staff I hired was from. Uh, uh, Marquette, and one of them was from Fordham, both Catholic Jesuit schools, and only. But um, one being in the state of New York, and one being in Wisconsin. The one in Wisconsin was able to hit the ground running, already having contacts uh, within uh, Wisconsin politics, already knowing uh, many of the players, as well as when we needed to reach out for volunteers. Uh, she already knew the uh, chairs of the three chapters that were within our district, and so we were able to hit the ground running. And likewise, the uh, person we hired from New York, he still had the general understanding of uh, what was going on, even though he was from an entirely different state. Mm. Yeah, I think there's so much to that as you're describing. Now, you ask a question in your piece. Again, we're talking with Republican campaign strategist Alec Hanna here on the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. You asked this question. I know some of you are probably thinking, well, Alec, you majored in political science. By the way, I majored in politics. Being a college Republican makes sense for you. But how does that apply to the students who are not majoring in political science and not trying to pursue a career in politics? Yes, and I would say the majority of the college Republicans at Marquette uh, during my time were not political science majors and uh, have pursued different careers, but it gave them an opportunity to get involved, whether it's, you know, uh, something completely different from their major just to experience something or to just share with like-minded conservative students uh, on campus. And so it, it's not strictly just for uh, helping uh, future campaign staff members and, and that sort, but is to grow as conservatives, even if that's not something you are looking to pursue as a career. Obviously, Alec, College Republicans has a particular partisan mission, whereas Turning Point USA is set up differently. Uh, do you think that the growth of other conservative groups like Turning Point USA has to some extent taken away some of the bluster or the appeal of College Republicans? I mean, I don't know that that could be necessarily true when you look at other states where you have college Republican groups that are thriving. But I do know that several campuses here in Colorado do, or at least a few of them, do have turning point chapters. So I'm curious if you've noticed anything, because when we were in college, turning point wasn't really much of a thing. It was just getting going at some point a couple of years after I graduated. So talk to me about that. Well, when I was a college Republican, we did have a turning point was just starting up and we had uh, all the turning point people uh, at Marquette were also involved in college Republicans. Right. So it's not a mutually exclusive. And so I, I, I think it does not serve uh, uh, isn't beneficial to anybody to have separate camps. And so getting these like minded organizations to be involved uh, in college Republicans as well, at least from uh, an individual standpoint, I think it is uh, paramount to the success of uh, 
turning the, the ship around here in Colorado, as well as uh, growing the College Republican organization in general. So you would say to our listeners here, don't give up on the college students just because you think that they are typically more liberal. I mean, guys like you and I clearly are examples of young when we were in college, young people who wanted to get involved and were engaged, but that doesn't mean that they're, you know, we're just few and far between. You never know how many people will actually be interested in this or at the very least be exposed to other ideas and then be like, well, maybe I'm a Republican. I'll go to this meeting, so on and so forth. Exactly. And right now with just the, the few number of chapters that are here in the state, they're not hearing from the conservative voices. So at a minimum, we at least need to have our voices being told, whether it's somebody who is susceptible to our, our message or not. Right now, there's it, it, it's just not being told. And so at a minimum, we should at least be telling our side of the, of the political equation. Again, Alex Hanna, our guest, his piece in Colorado politics this week in the podium, where are the college Republicans? You end the piece with this. We can't give up on having a Republican presence on our college at our colleges. Founding more college Republican chapters and fostering their growth is where we must start. I want to go to that point of fostering their growth in addition to founding more college Republican chapters. What advice would you give to the state Republican Party, especially as they are now looking at new leadership? The Central Committee will be meeting in a couple of months to vote on new chair, maybe new vice chair uh, and secretary. What advice would you give them on really focusing on this as a cornerstone piece of what they're what they should do and how to go about it? Well, I think, again, Jimmy, these college students, they just want to get involved. And so from this uh, state central committee, at a minimum, reaching out to them and trying to get them involved. I know other states uh, have their college Republicans uh, on this as members of the state central committee. I don't know if that's feasible here in Colorado, but certainly something that I think should be looked at further. And at a minimum, just getting these, uh, these students involved. Um, that's what I think they want, and that's how I think it's best to go about it. Yeah, I, I, I think there are two big things, and tell me if you agree, that come from ensuring you have college Republicans uh, at various campuses around the state. One, you have a support base during elections and to cultivate for candidates or for future volunteers, for future campaign operatives, for future candidates, for elected office. Like it's a good breeding ground for that. And then number two, it's a vehicle to help combat against the left wing biases on college campuses. Yes. Well said, Jimmy. And the reason we need to cultivate them as well, not just uh, go out and uh, find new chapters is we're going to end up in situations like with, with the, your example with Regis, where if there's no one to hand the baton to, the chapter disappears. And so we need to continue to grow these organizations into uh, substantially larger uh, clubs. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is that it appears to me that the CU Boulder chapter of the CRs has had the best staying power of any college Republican chapter in this state. Like, 
I think maybe there was like a brief period in the last decade where they didn't have anything going on on the campus, but I could be mistaken on that. They've been remarkably active for a campus that is known for being left-wing. I will submit to you that Regis University is a much more left-wing campus, actually, than CU Boulder, believe it or not. But I digress. It's just an interesting observation to note. Alec Hanna, author of the piece of Colorado Politics, Where Are the College Republicans?, Really appreciate you joining us this morning, and let's keep having this conversation. I'm happy to to get involved with uh, you and the CRs in an effort to grow their chapters. Thanks for having me, Jimmy, and looking forward to coming back on. I look forward to it as well. Once again, Alec Hanna joining us here on the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. We're going to take a quick break. On the other side, we'll get your thoughts on the Biden classified document scandal and also... Could History of the World Part 1 and other Mel Brooks movies of the 70s and 80s be made today? We'll dive into that as well. Stay with us. 303-696-1971. It's the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. This is an old, old buddy guy tune. He's doing his very last tour. Very last tour this year. Farewell tour. He's in his 80s. Still alive and well, but saying, ah, I got to hang it up. God bless him. And I singing the things that I used to do. Well, what about, well, he says, the things that I used to do, Lord, I won't do no more. Well, here's a question. Can you make movies like History of the World Part One? Or Young Frankenstein or Blazing Saddles? <laughs> I mean, Lewis on the other side of the glass on that one was just shaking his head. No, the list goes on for Mel Brooks classics. And the question is, could those as made in the 70s and 80s be made today? Good question. We will take up here in just a moment. Here on the Jimmy Sangenberger Show, News Talk 710 KNUS, it is 29 minutes after 7 o'clock. We're looking at a high of 53 degrees and mostly cloudy today outside as the day progresses. So that means we'll get a little bit of sunshine peeping outside for us. I want to open up the phones, 303-696-1971, and the text. If you'd like to join in to the festivities, 303-696-1971, you can text it on the 710KNUS app on your smartphone. We had Mike Davis on earlier in the show, the Article 3 project. We talked about the Biden de- or the Biden classified documents that have mysteriously shown up. And all oh, they were turned over after 24 or within 24 hours of being found randomly. In his garage and in his library at his Wilmington, Delaware beach home. Like, what? Really? And we are supposed to believe you? Well, you know, you got to really listen to what the Biden administration is telling you because they're honest and it's just an ongoing process. Just listen to Corinne Jean-Pierre, White House Press Secretary. Many of you here have been talking to my colleague in the White House Council. So what the the actions that we took were right right actions that his team took uh, in in 
in uh, dealing with the Department of Justice and also the archives. Okay, Look, you, I have, so I you have, guys have answered questions when the press has broken and the news because it's an ongoing process. Because again, it is an ongoing process. There is a process here. There's a process here. It's an ongoing process. There's, oh, folks, there's a process here. Just lay off. Just lay off just a little bit, please. And by the way, keep in mind, the documents that were in the garage were locked. It was a locked garage along with, well, his Corvette. So definitely secure. We're going to get a chance to speak on all this, God willing, soon. But as I said earlier this week, people, and by the way, my Corvette's in a locked garage. Okay? So it's not like they're sitting out in the street. But anyway. Yes, as well as my Corvette. As well um, as my Corvette. But uh, as I said earlier this week, people know I take classified documents and classified material seriously. Mm. That's why they end up in an office, in a garage, and in a library. Randomly. Found miraculously by lawyers or something. What in the world is going on here and where will this go from here. One more exchange I want to share. This is Karine Jean-Pierre with Ed O'Keefe of the Washington Post, uh, or excuse me, CBS News. He used to be at the Washington Post. Ed O'Keefe of CBS News going back and forth and really pushing back here. What was the president trying to say when he referenced his Corvette earlier today? Because it sounded like he was implying that because his garage is a safe place for his car, the documents... We're safe, and, and therefore, it was a, if it was safe for the car, it was safe for the documents. Is that what he meant? Look, I, I'm going to just leave his statement as is. Uh, I think you, your colleague, was having a, a back and forth with the president. Uh, you can read the transcript of what was asked of him and why he responded that way. I'm just not going to get into specifics. And I'm not going to go beyond what the president say, said, and I'm not going to go beyond what the, the lawyers say. I have to go around. You've asked me about. Be, you've asked me. Going to be a limit in transparency, public, non-legal transparency, and what can be shared and said by this way. I disagree. There has I disagree, Ed. There has not been a limit of transparency. That is, that is, that is. There has not been a limit of transparency. That I will, I will disagree with you on that. Justin, that's not that's not Peter Ducey of Fox News. That is Ed O'Keefe of CBS News. The media isn't. They have a double standard, to be sure that they are showcasing when it comes to the coverage of Trump versus Biden. But they are pushing back in a way that I wouldn't have expected. And that is quite entertaining to watch. Kristen Welker of NBC News and Ed O'Keefe of CBS News have kind of been feeling like Peter Ducey a good bit over the course of the last week. What do you make of that media switcheroo? Are they turning on Biden? What's happening here? Is this because they don't want him to run for re-election in 2024? So they want to get him out of commission. They realize that he's not all there, that he's not capable, and they want him to go. 303-696-1971, our telephone number. Another topic I want to get into and throw at you. It's got the beta king. Could you make that movie? Well, you know, I want to lead in here. This is fun. This is one of my most uh, favorite aspects to Mel Brooks' History of the World, Part 1, is the Inquisition scene. Take a listen to this as we lead in to discussing this and more. 
Torquemada, do not implore him for compassion. Torquemada, do not beg him for forgiveness. Torquemada, do not ask him for mercy. Let's face it, you can't talk him out of anything. Let all those who wish to confess their evil ways and to accept and embrace the true church convert now or forever burn in hell. For now begins the Inquisition. Inquisition. Let's begin the Inquisition. Look out, Sam. We have a mission to convert the Jews. We're gonna teach them wrong from right. We're gonna help them see the light and make an offer that they can't refuse. That the Jews just can't refuse. Confess. Don't be boring. Say yes. Don't be dull. A fact. You're ignoring. It's better to lose your skull cap than your skull. So that's a little bit from Mel Brooks' History of the World Part 1, which I just, he travels through various parts of history and jumps in along the timeline from the Stone Age onto Moses, onto Rome, onto King Louis XIV, hence... Good to be the king. Now, it was just announced formally yesterday that they are making a History of the World Part 2, and here's a bit of how Mel Brooks introduced Part 2. Hi, I'm, uh, I'm Mel Brooks, yeah. The guy who brought you the producers, Young Frankenstein, Spaceballs, and Blazing Saddles. And now I am proud to present the long-anticipated follow-up to my film, History of the World. By the way, he's 96 now. We're calling it History of the World Part 2. Roll it. I've got some marketing materials to show you. Let's just jump right into it. Where's Noah? Hey, guys. I'm Jesus. Judas. General Grant. Mary Magdalene. Princess Anastasia. Sigmund Freud. Kublai Khan. Rasputin. Amelia Earhart. Marco! And the other guy says, Polo! It's better in a pool. Hands up where I can see Good gravy is Harriet Tubman. Harriet Tubman, the inventor of the bathtub? How did these dumbasses enslave us? Some call me Jesus Christ, son of God. Some call him broken corny. That woman is enchanting. <laughs> you rabby bitch. Anything else? Are we trapping the accent? Who's dropping the accent? Hey! Hey! Who is this? Your mama. If you're my mother, what is your last name? Bell. It's my mother. That confirms it. Jesus to be white. That's not what I'm saying. Don't you put words in my mouth. History of the world, part two. Mm. Part two. Part two. If this was on Netfish, I would cancel my subscription. That's pretty funny, Netfish. I mean, I watched that, and something was lacking. It it was just like they were trying to throw in these approvable jokes in more of a woke sort of world. I mean, my conclusion is 
without a doubt, you could not see History of the World Part 1 made. Now, you certainly could not see Blazing Saddles made again these days. Without a doubt, that would not happen. But History of the World Part 1 as well. It's just far too politically incorrect, especially for today's woke mob audiences. What do you think? 303-696-1971. Also, what are your takes on Joe Biden? I'm going to get a chance to speak on all this, God willing, soon. But as I said earlier this week, people, and by the way, my Corvette's in a lock garage. Okay? So it's not like you're sitting out in the street. But anyway... <laughs> My Corvette's in a lock garage. It's not like they're sitting out on the street. Oh, that makes it all the better. It's in a lock garage with this Corvette. 303-696-1971. Let's go to Jim on the program. Good morning, Jim. How are you? Hi, Jimmy. How are you? I'm doing well. Okay. Any day I have a listener named Jim or Jimmy call in, I'm feeling pretty good. Very good. I, I just, hey, I'm a liberal Democrat, so you can take that as your filter. All right, good seems, for you. It, Thank you. It, 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 it seems to me that the big difference between Biden and Trump on the documents is that Biden's cooperating with the government and Trump's basically giving the government the finger. So a couple of thoughts on this. Um, number one, bigger difference as some analysts such as Mike Davis from the first hour of the program have been pointing to is Biden was vice president versus Trump being president. At the very least, there's some difference in standards as far as whether or not you can leave the administration with documents. Um, I mean, the example cited, for example, were these tapes that Bill Clinton had left with and Tom Fitton, a judicial watch, had done a lawsuit and lost that lawsuit up against Bill Clinton in regards to this argument that, oh, these tapes should not be in his custody and uh, lost that particular case. So I think there's there is a notable difference there. But here's the thing. Is it really sincere, Jim, for Biden to say, oh, we return these within 24 hours after discovering them seven years or so after he was removed from office as term limited vice president of the United States? I mean, how can you literally just say, oh, well, he cooperated because these were found in his garage, in his library? How were they randomly found seven years later. I mean, I don't like how Trump has handled this myself, but I think that that's a pretty striking thing about Biden, is it not? I'd like to make two points on that, Jimmy. Yes, sir. Uh, uh, Number one, I think that uh, I don't think Biden knew they were in the garage uh, because I I think when Trump's uh, documents, things became exposed after the raid, if Biden knew he had this stuff squirreled away, I think he would have just went in and destroyed it and burned it so that he, he, he you know, wouldn't be liable. Burned records? You think well, he would have disposed uh, of them rather than turning them over? Uh, if, he, if he was hiding them, if he knew he had them, uh, yeah, I, I, because he, he would have wanted to avoid this scandal. And it is a scandal, you know. I think they both need to be investigated, but I think— they're very different. The other thing is Trump had a subpoena. Trump That's defied true. a su- subpoena. And then a judge had to make a judgment that he believed that a crime was being committed at Mar-a-Lago in order to authorize that search. So the judge definitely th- thought that 
you know, that Trump was committing a sure. crime. Sure. Well, that was the basis. So so there's your. Well, Mike Jim, Davis. Go ahead. I don't know. Basically, I thought Mike Davis's basic point was that the Presidential Records Act doesn't apply to the president if he doesn't want it to. And that's crazy to me. Doesn't apply to the current president? Uh, to any president. If the president declassifies them in his mind, and, and then they're just his no, he was records. He was arguing the opposite, that the Presidential Records Act protects the president's ability to take documents in the way that Trump did. But I want to get to the special counsel for a moment with you, Jim, because this is, this is interesting. Um, of course, the special counsel statute really says... If there's a crime, you can make that or if you believe there may have been a crime, then you make that determination. And you can do a special counsel. That's the authorization. Do you think that Merrick Garland simply said, I am not going to actually follow the law. Instead, I'm just going to pick a special counsel to give myself political cover. Or does Merrick Garland believe that Biden's actions do fall under what the statute says and justify a special counsel to look into him just as to President Trump? I think it's both, Jimmy. I, I, I think it's both legal. I do, too. And I think, you, you know, you want to avoid the perception of bias, mm -hmm. you know, in most of these political and legal things. Right. So he, he wanted to distance himself somewhat. From whatever the but, recommendations but, but and judgments. That means, though, if it's both, that the part of the implication is he believes that there may have been a crime committed. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I think Joe Biden needs to be investigated. Yeah. You know, and it needs to all get out in the open, just as Trump needs to be investigated and, and let the chips fall where they may. And you know what? I can respect that, Jim. And in fact, I think if we can get a, an even clearer answer through all of this on um, what the Presidential Records Act says, what the limits are, what the limits are for the president and the vice president, um, I, I certainly think that that's valuable to do. I just something just stinks here in terms of how long it took for this to be made public and how you randomly come across these documents in a garage and in a library and at a at an office and and what's going on in that regard so um you know we'll, there there's a lot there to be answered as far as questions but jim liberal democrats are always welcome to call in the show and you seem like a level-headed guy so i appreciate you joining us this morning Thank you, Jimmy. Thank you. 303-696-1971 is our telephone number. I think it goes a little deeper than that, Jimmy. I think it shows a huge character flaw. Biden and others like that can rationalize themselves out of anything, and eventually they lose their conscience. Just my opinion. And uh, one listener observing that, Jim, pretty much said his president has the character to burn documents. Yeah, that was, that was an interesting observation. I mean, is it, is it fair for both Trump and Biden to be looked at? I mean, I, I don't know how this is going to pan out. I think Mike Davis made a very compelling case in favor of President Trump in a way I had not heard explained and detailed out like that. 
But I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. This is not. I mean, I understand a lot of things about the Constitution. This is an area that is a legal gray area to me. It seems striking that the FBI would get a subpoena and have to show up and do the things that they did in the way they did at Mar-a-Lago. I don't necessarily have a problem per se with looking into this. Um, Certainly they want to go after Donald Trump, but, you know, both Biden and Trump were reckless with how they handled their documents, especially I would say Biden. When you look at a garage like that, I mean, I, I so I, I get it. Looking into both seems reasonable to me. And we'll see, like Jim said, how the chips fall and let them fall where they may. But what do you think? 303-696-1971 about that very question. And then also history of the world. Part two is coming. Could part one have been made today? We'll go to the break with a little bit more of that inquisition piece as we Get to the end of this second hour of the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. News Talk, 710 KNUS. The Inquisition was a show. The Inquisition, here we go. We know you're wishing that we go Joe Bonamassa doing the Jeff Beck tune, Let Me Love You Baby. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger. Best damn bumper music known to man. News Talk 710-KNUS. Text coming in. Jimmy, both classified document issues should be investigated. Before the Biden incident, I don't think Trump was going to get a fair evaluation. In addition to these two politicians being reviewed, someone needs to review the process around managing sensitive government documents. There seems to be a real problem in this area. Look, I agree. I think that is well put. Biden was not or Trump was not going to get a fair evaluation before Biden. Now this forces them into that position and we want to have an honest review. Now, listener texting in. Honestly, Biden has been known to be a despicable liar since before your birth. Yes, absolutely. I was born in 1990. There you go. Yes, Biden ran for president as a serial plagiarist. Already. The text goes on. It has been torturous for me to watch the media intentionally giving him a pass and seeing him rise to the presidency. Sigh. Absolutely. Is Biden so stupid he didn't know he had them, stolen them? Thanks for having Mike Davis on. He seemed really knowledgeable. Good stuff. We'll be back on the other side. Jimmy Sangenberger's show another hour up ahead. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.